0: Good morning, Westridge. Good morning. Okay, so we surveyed you, and you told us what you wanted to hear, and this is the first of a five-part series. Most of you, however, wrote down that you wanted me to be the next American Idol, but other than that, uh, there were some topics that came through loud and clear. We heard you. As Lisa said, this is the first of a five-part series, so it's not too late to tell your family and friends. We have some nice little cards here. You can see what the rest of the topics are. Most of them deal with ultimate life issues. This one, uh, entitled The End Times Debate, is a particularly difficult one to cover in 20 minutes. So you need to know this is an overview, this is a 30,000 feet overview of this topic. You need to also know that sincere Christians throughout the centuries have had different views about how the world will end. Particularly, the sequence of events. And you need to know, if you're new to West Ridge, that you have the freedom to have differing, topic, differing views on topics like this, okay? So we're not seeking conformity here, we're seeking Christian unity here, okay? Now, I know when you wrote this topic down, I know what you wanted. You want me to give you a calendar of events. You want me to give you a date. So I will. It's July 4th, the world will end on July 4th, so before you leave today, give me all your bank account, credit card numbers, PIN numbers, you won't be needing them anymore. Uh, Just take that little bit of uh, tension off of you as you prepare for the end. Uh Okay, thank you. Actually, I'll be content today if none of you pronounce the last book in the Bible, Revelations, with an S on it. Because it's just revelation. So it doesn't take much to please me. I don't know who came up with this topic. This is a horrible, horrible topic. Isn't it? So, So far it is. Let's start with some definitions. Okay? We can't talk about this topic unless we have a common vocabulary. So there are some words that get used... Uh, on this topic that we need to understand. Some of you may already know these words, but let me just run through them, define them. The first one is apocalypse, or apocalyptic, as in apocalypse now. This word today gets used uh, generally to refer to the end of the world. But originally it came from the first word in the book of Revelation, from the Greek word apocalypsis, meaning disclosure or unveiling. Now, apocalyptic is a specific type or genre of popular literature or of literature that was popular about the time the Apostle John wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation, towards the end of the first century. This apocalyptic literature, you need to understand, is characterized by visions and otherworldly messengers and overt reliance on symbols. And metaphoric language, that's one of the reasons why that book, the book of Revelation, reads so differently than most of the other books in your Bible. In your Hebrew Bible, the book Daniel would use the same type of genre, apocalyptic literature. Here's another word, eschatology. Literally, the study of the last things comes from the Greek word eschatos, meaning last. Now, this term is not used in the Bible, but it is used by theologians to mean beliefs about the closing events of world history. All the things that you suggested to us, death, resurrection, God's intervention in history with Christ's return, final judgment, all of these existential things. Eschatology, study of the last things. So you can amaze your friends and co-workers tomorrow by saying, I'm not sure what you think about the eschatological implications of apocalyptic literature and the coming apocalypse, but we talked about it yesterday in church. Write that down. Now, this word didn't make the PowerPoint, but rapture is a word that gets used a lot. Uh, it comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, where it says, those who are still alive when Jesus returns will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The word rapture is not used in the Bible, but it comes from the Latin translation of the Greek word that's used in this passage. When the rapture happens, in relationship to other events, that is to say, when Christ comes back in the clouds and we go to meet, and when that happens in relation to other events is the subject of differing views. Now, here's the big one. Understanding end-time events, you need to understand the major views that theologians have about end-time events, and you need to understand the word millennial. Millennial refers just simply to a thousand years, And it comes from this book, this verse, in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 4. It says this, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hand. They came to life, and here it is, they came to life and they reigned with Christ... A thousand years. Now the major theological views around end time events revolve around this passage and what is come to known as millennial views. That is to say, when does this millennium, this thousand year reign of Christ, when does it happen in relationship to other historical events? There are three primary views about end time events revolving around this thousand year reign. Reign. The first one is called pre And as you might, might guess from the word pre is the belief that Jesus will literally and physically be on the earth for this millennial reign at his second coming. This doctrine is called pre-millennialism because it holds that Jesus' physical return to earth will occur prior to the millennium. That is to say he will come back to this earth and will reign on this earth for a thousand years before the consummation of all things. It's based on a literal interpretation of that verse in Revelation chapter 20, which talks about Jesus coming to the earth and His subsequent reign at the end of tribulation. Now, this views the future age as a time of fulfillment for the prophetic hope given in the Old Testament. It does not take into account any symbolism... That is common in apocalyptic literature. Okay? Second big view around the millennium and in time events is called postmillennialism. It's an interpretation of Revelation 20 which views the second coming as occurring, as you might guess, after the millennium. This view holds that there will be a golden age in which Christian ethics prosper. It stands in contrast to premillennialism. Some postmillennialists, hold to a literal millennium or a thousand years, but most see this word in this passage, in this book, as a figurative term, just meaning a long period of time. And among those holding to a non-literal millennium, it's usually understood to have begun already or to say we are already in that. So the events are less obvious, less dramatic than typically envisioned by the pre-millennialists as well as a more unexpected return of Christ. Post-millennialism also teaches that the forces of Satan will gradually be defeated by the expansion of the kingdom of God. Remember, they believe we're already in this. That the forces of good, the forces of God, will gradually overtake the forces of evil until the second coming of Christ. Now, this belief that good will gradually triumph over evil has led... Proponents of post-millennialism to label themselves as optimillennialists, <laughs> in contrast to pesa-millennialists. You asked for it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you. You asked for this. Now, this view, as you might guess, was more popular in the 18th century as people began to view progress of humankind. It has, quite frankly, fallen into disfavor given all the wars of the 20th century, a little bit harder to convince people that the forces of good are overtaking the forces of darkness. The last major view is this one. It's amillennialism. It's named for its rejection of the theory that Christ will have a literal thousand-year physical reign on earth. It interprets Revelation 20 as being symbolic, as being figurative, the millennial view holds that the thousand years in Revelation 20 is a symbolic number, not a literal description, and that it simply designates a long time. Now, this view categorizes Revelation, much like the book of Daniel, in highly symbolic, figurative terms, which is not unreasonable. In this view, the millennium has already begun. We are already in it. Some would call it the church age or the age of the church. Amillennialism holds that while Christ's reign during the millennium is spiritual in nature, that is to say, He is reigning now, spiritually, through the church, and that He will return at the end of the church age. Christ will return in final judgment, and He will then establish a permanent physical reign. Now, you should know that each of these three major views around the millennium, around this significant verse in the book of Revelation, have been held by sincere Christians throughout the centuries. I just merely wanted to introduce them to you and let you know what the conversation revolves around. One more definition, and it's the word the last days. A lot of times people ask the question, are we living in the last days? And this phrase gets used frequently to refer to a period of time uh, immediately before the return of Christ or just before the millennial reign. And throughout church history, many Christians have felt that they were living in the last days. Some do today. And it's true that Christ's final coming is possible any day. It is impossible no day. However, the New Testament uses this phrase last days a bit differently it refers to the last days as the entire age that began after the first coming of christ not the time immediately preceding his second coming and so by this definition we are in fact living in the last days we've been living in the last days for two thousand years now What you may have wanted in this series was a calendar of end times events. Here's what Jesus has to say about that. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will return. Hebrews 9 is the only place in the Bible where the adjective second is used in conjunction to Christ's final coming. It says this, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. One thing is clear. At Christ's final coming, or His second coming, He will bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Some introductions, some definitions, and now just a word about some dangers. There are some dangers surrounding this topic, and the first one is this. That is abuse. All kinds of secret codes and clubs and cults and conspiracies and calendars spring up frightening people or giving them false hope. I read just this week, David Morrison senior scientist at NASA's Ames Research Center in California. He said that even before archaeologists discovered an extended Mayan calendar in Guatemala earlier this month that debunked the idea that the world is ending in December 2012, Morrison thought the Mayan prophecy was bunk. People trying to make money are ginning up the hoax, he said. The worst thing is that they frighten children. He says, I have at least one email a day from a kid who says he can't sleep. Some are threatening suicide. I heard about two sets of parents who talked about killing their children and themselves before the date. And a girl hanged herself in England in the fall, worrying over the 2012 prophecy. Let me make a prophecy of my own this morning. Until the day you die, or Jesus actually does return, there will be all kinds of stories that people make up about the end of the world. And they may make make good movies, they may make interesting novels, but they're not from the Bible. Here's a second danger. Distraction. Perhaps more subtle and tempting is for well-meaning Christians... To get caught up in the study of end times as an excuse not to do the hard things of this life. Like, love your neighbor. Respond compassionately. Be a good spouse or parent. Or to use it as an excuse not to take care of the planet because it's just going to burn up someday anyway. Here's what the Apostle Paul had to tell the church in Thessalonica ...about this subject. I don't think, friends, that I need to deal with the question... ...of when all this is going to happen. You know as well as I... ...that the day of the Master's coming... ...can't be posted on our calendars. He won't call ahead... ...and make an appointment... ...any more than a burglar would. And about the time... ...everyone's walking around complacently... ...congratulating each other... ...we've got it made... ...now we can take it easy which is to say we know when it's going to happen so we can just back off of everything because we believe we're living in the last days, suddenly everything will fall apart. It's going to come as suddenly and inescapably as birth pains to a pregnant woman. Now, if there's no secret code, if there's no secret calendar hidden away in some Middle Eastern cave, then what's the purpose of the Bible ...talking about Christ's return... ...a couple of purposes, at least. The first one is this. History is going somewhere. We can have hope. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 says... ...Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega... ...says the Lord God... ...who is and who was and who is to come... ...the Almighty. Instead of a series of events... ...that precedes Christ's return... The Bible more commonly talks about a day, an omega point. It's a day that represents an end. An end to pain and suffering and tears and war and time. And it's a day that signals a beginning for peace and harmony and eternity. Here's the way Paul writes about it to Titus. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, the last days between the first coming of Christ and His second coming, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. A second purpose, I think the Bible talks about Christ's return, is so that we can live with the end in mind and remain faithful. Revelation chapter 2 talks about a series of churches. At the end of every section, it just ends with this phrase, to Him who overcomes. To Him who... Who overcomes, to him who overcomes. That phrase in the book of Revelation is actually a military phrase. You World War II buffs will know the meaning of D Day and V Day. D Day was when the Allied troops invaded Europe, began to push the German army army back to Germany. Lots of movies about this, maybe you saw. Saving Private Ryan. It was the decisive battle of the war. And it started the beginning of the end for Germany. And yet, the war raged on for another year. It wasn't until V-Day, Victory Day, that the fighting stopped. That's a picture of the way the Bible portrays this subject. Christ has won the decisive battle at the cross. He's already assured us victory. And yet, the ceasefire is yet future. We don't know how long this warfare will continue. But, we will fight with the conviction that someday, all the weapons will be placed at the feet of Jesus. That belief can help me be faithful until that day. D-Day is past. V-Day is in the future. Meanwhile, we live between the times. The conflict, as Revelation pictures it, involves God and His servants against the dragon and His servants revelation was written to encourage us to remain loyal to christ the numerous references to christ's second coming final coming in scripture are not there to satisfy our curiosity about the future or enable us to work out a detailed schedule leading up to the end of the world the references are there so that we might know the present and future are secure in the hands of God because of His faithfulness in the past. We live between D-Day and V-Day. So live with the end in mind. The end of history as we know it. The end of the world, indeed, the universe. The end of our earthly lives. The end of evil and suffering. Live with the end in mind. Because the end is really a beginning. A beginning that knows no end. The end is the beginning of the new. A new heaven and a new earth. And a new glorified body. You don't get ready for the last days. Or the end times. You stay ready because it could be today.